Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queens Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Well, thank you, Tommaso, and uh, welcome to all of you. Really glad we're here together this afternoon. I want to talk with you for just a few minutes on this theme that all times are in his hands. Just open with a question. I wonder if you could identify what season you're in. I'm going to ask you to think about it, so I'll, I'll share first. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm in a bit of a, a spiritual springtime. Uh, I identify a lot of last year for me personally as a spiritual autumn giving way to a spiritual winter where I can, I can say like the Lord has me in a, in a spiritual springtime right now. Not necessarily a season of harvest and abundance, but a season of potential, a season of turning, a season of emerging. What season are you in? Wisdom from an emotionally healthy leadership coach from Brooklyn leads us to reflect on the various seasons of life. You could have a look at, at these right here. You might be able to identify with one of them. Um, a way of understanding the spiritual seasons that God takes us through. Takes us through the spiritual season of autumn. Autumns will come our way. Seasons of transition and change. Winter. Winter is the season of death and endurance. You could even imagine like, yeah, autumn is kind of that last spark, that last push, and then it kind of drifts away into another. Winter, that season when things are very, very clear because things are very, very dead. There's no leaves on the trees. That was autumn. That's not winter. In winter, when things are dead, it's as if you can see for miles because there's nothing in your way. But that can lead into a spiritual season of spring, the season of potential and fruitfulness. You just think about this place, late March, not early March, Lord knows. The buds are coming back, the the grass is coming through. You you can tell it's like, we're going to make it. You know, winter didn't take us, like I'm still here. And you can feel springtime starting to rise. Now, the harvest isn't in, it's not, it's not a time of abundance yet, but it's, it's a bit of a promissory note that things are eternal. You can think of the spiritual season of summer as well. That season of harvest. That season of abundance. Now one of the reasons our lives can feel like such a knotted up mess is we can actually be in different seasons in different parts of our lives all at the same time. It's possible to be in a financial summer while you're in a spiritual, emotional winter. And this is, this is part of the rise for so much confusion that we feel. 
It's possible to be in one place with your family, another season with your friends, another season in the bank account, and another season entirely in your heart. Well, this is where we're complex creatures. Now, very thankfully, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has a lot to say to us about the spiritual seasons of life. He's going to take us through, and these words here, they are all encompassing. I want to orient you to the next three weeks of Ecclesiastes, though, because chapters 3, 4, and 5, they hang together. In chapter 3, the bit that we're going to cover today, it proves the point that God is in control of time and God assigns all the seasons that we endure. And he's going to make the case so strongly that he's going to anticipate some questions coming up from us. I don't know, if God really is good and if He really is in control, then what do we do about all of these seeming contradictions all around us? Next week, we consider the six apparent anomalies to life that Solomon has for us. And then the week after that, we consider a concluding note. How should we think about God who is over time if all of this stuff just looks like it's broken? So if part of this seems like it's only a bit of the story and there's more to be said, it's because there is, and you just got to come back for the next two weeks and then you can drop off again. But here we are in Ecclesiastes chapters 3, 4, and 5, specifically today thinking what kind of season are we in. It's important that we're able to identify our season because every season is necessary. Living things necessarily move through different seasons. A two-year-old child is not able to be a five-year-old child at the same time. Has to leave the journey of being a two and has to progress and move to the new reality of being a five. The trees that we walked past on the way here today, they have their times and they have their seasons, and so it is with us. Our Creator God has made us in such a way where seasons are necessary for growth and necessary for flourishing. And part of what I want to get across to you today and in the next two weeks is that each season holds unique gifts from God. All four of them. And they are there to be had and enjoyed if we can name the season and if we can flow with the seasons. So let's get into that flow together. I got three encouraging truths from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the first one is simply this. God is in control of every season in your life. God is in control. And I do not say this crassly or mindlessly to this room because I am tenderly aware of some of the painful seasons we're still walking through. So I'm not being cavalier when I say this to you. Sensitively aware to some of the realities that affect us. And when we identify our season, to identify the Creator God is over that season makes some of us a bit uncomfortable. And next week is especially for you. But here we are. 
warmly and encouragingly, I want to contend with you that God is in control of all of these seasons. And let me show you from the text and page of Scripture. Look again at verse 1 with me. It says, There is a time and season for everything under heaven. So who decides what time it is for this season and what time it is for that season? Who, who makes this decision? It's God. God sets the time to be born and God sets the time to die. No one has ever been found sitting next to some portal of reality deciding whether they are going to enter in or not. God makes those appointments. God is the one that ushers life into this world. And for each and every one of us, regardless of the stage of life, God is the one who calls those lives home. Not only this, God sets the time for every garden to be planted and God sets the time for every blade of grass to be cut. Look at that in verse 2. It's in your Bible. And if this idea, if this idea develops a stink in our nostrils, it's because we are proud in our hearts. Oftentimes, we want to take these kinds of ideas that we're starting to deal in today and we want to go study arguments about God to find God a way out of the situation. But God's only promised a way to escape temptation. God hasn't promised a way to escape difficult doctrines. That's something we're just going to have to trust Him with. Verse 3 says, God sets the times when men go off to battle, and God sets the times when they're brought home, celebrated, and restored. So if you follow this, then every arrow, every bullet, and every bomb follows a predetermined path that was laid out before the worlds were made. And we sit with that for a minute and it's like, who is this God? We just have to sit with Him and allow Him to minister to us and prove some things to us from His Word. Consider with me, King Ahab thought he could thwart the words of God by putting on a different set of clothes as though God was way off in the distance and God would be squinting, trying to see, is that him? And what happened to King Ahab? Well, an arrow somehow splits the penetration of a gap in his suit, takes him to the heart. Ahab goes down and not one word of the Lord falls to the ground. God knows what He's doing in all of this. Times come in which men, they break down, and times come in which men gather around to build up. And whether it's a season of building or it's a season of destroying, the Bible wants us to know this afternoon, God is there in the midst of that. He's there. So if it is broken then God is there. Not necessarily the primary cause of the breaking, but He is not absent from it, and it does not happen without His careful attention over the whole situation. And at the same time, if something is built up, God was present in the building up and the bringing about of it as well. See, men may boast about what they can build or in what ways they can tear down, but in either case, the Lord stands behind them and it's as if the Lord was wielding them like an instrument in His hands. Divine responsibility and human accountability in the same picture. 
So does a person boast in their ability to go to another city and make a fortune there? The brother of Jesus, James, would say in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, he ought to say the result depends on the will of God. The Psalms teach this. When a building falls, whether it was man's intention to fall or not, it is the Lord who appoints it. All construction is futile apart from God's purpose. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, the labors, they labor in vain. It's God. So look at verse 4. Stared at verse 4 this week a lot myself. When calamity comes, the Lord was in it. And when rejoicing brings relief to the calamity, the Lord is in that as well. Theologian Doug Wilson says that this doctrine has a hard edge on it and more than one person has cut himself on it. But the denial of this doctrine does not remove the light and darkness or peace and evil. It just removes the possibility of finding any solace amidst it all. G.K. Chesterton would quip, Christianity found a way to get around the problems of all of this of, of, of furious opposites by keeping both and keeping both furious. God doesn't have to be freed of anything here. He is holy and He is God. And what Solomon's been getting across for a few weeks now is we don't have all the information. We are finite. He is infinite. We have parts of the puzzle and He can see the whole. So warmly in verse 5, hugs and embraces from God and times without them are also part of His will. For those of us with the love language of physical touch, every time somebody comes in, right? It's from the Lord. And we have those times. I have endured seasons. And many of us in here, we have endured seasons of just feeling like emotionally we don't have the setup and the support we need. The good news today is that the Lord knows and He's over that situation too. So a wife is from the Lord. A husband is from the Lord. Holding each other is a gift that God provides. And even the rifts that develop, they happen under His decrees. Verse 6 says, God allows some of us to live in a time of gain and God allows some of us to live in a time of loss. God is over the person who stores it all up, and God is over the person when they throw it all away. God gives the power to get wealth. You learn about this in Deuteronomy 8.18. And God also brings calamity on people who forget Him when they have wealth. Deuteronomy 28, verse 17. We, humanity, like people all throughout these streets, we believe we can consistently pump up the markets at a steady clip forever. We think we can control this. We can, we can control a housing market. We can control an economy. We can, we can manage things well, but we cannot. The cycles for everything in this fallen and silly world, they just come around again. And if they didn't, then this wouldn't be the fifth or seventh empire to be on this dirt. No, there's cycles to this. And God appoints those cycles. God appoints those seasons when everything's on the arise. And God is present with every single person with a special affection for His people when it seems like everything is going down and coming undone. 
This is the good news of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. None of this is a mistake. God allows some of us to live in times when it's all coming in. God allows some of us to live in times when it just feels like it is it's all going out. That's God. God enables man to say nothing, keeping his silence, and he enables others to speak in verse 7. Silence and eloquence, those are gifts that God gives out. Verse 8, relationships formed and relationships dissolved. They happen under His sovereign will. God, God never gets word of a, of a falling out between people and has to rush over and ask somebody else to inform Him and clue Him up to what happened while He was looking away. It's not God. Somehow, this holy, sovereign God is Lord as things are going well and it looks like everything's falling apart at the same time. So hear this relation, relationally. Our responsibility to avoid foolish quarrels with one another in no way threatens the Lord's sovereignty over our obedience to Him or our disobedience to Him. We like to argue these obvious truths because we think that somehow God's holiness is threatened when it was His idea to give us these words for us to be able to look at and behold ourselves. There need not be any rushing off, trying to get God off the hook, trying to make it look like He's not saying something He is clearly saying to us. We like to look at this and think, how, how does some of this correspond with God's character? How is this actually true? But we have to remember, He is God. He doesn't need justifying like you and I might need justifying. He is wholly other. And He loves us who are finite and small and limited. It's where He wants to come to us and say, hey, even that, I'm present with you in it. It doesn't make its way to you without me. That's help. All of this is the foundation of Solomon's argument, which in turn means that God and God alone is the only place of secure joy. And we'll be tempted to run around and try to put all the chips of our life on this person or this place or this dynamic or this item. And you can hear the argument Solomon's making. There's cycles to this. Oh, that? Well, there's going to be seasons in that. The only safe bet is with God. Verse 10, God gives the different seasons of life to us. It's the argument. It's what he's saying. And this is good news. This isn't unfortunate stuff. This is great news that this is the way it is. And I appreciate in this moment, some of us actually feel if God's over all this, then He has some answering and explaining to do. I understand where that comes from. And next week, we go into six apparent anomalies about this world. We're going to look at contradictory information. He makes the argument so strongly. This, this is all the work of God. And then He's going to come back and He's going to anticipate our complaints. Then why is this happening? And what's up with that? And how did they get away with this? And why did this happen to me? And He's going to provide more comfort for us there. 
God says He does all of this in verse 14, that we should fear Him. This does not mean that we should be afraid of Him in the sense that we're afraid of somebody who might be violent towards us or someone who might wound us. This is referring to a sense of awe and reverence. He is God. I am not. And He is doing things in my life, around my life, and through my life that I cannot trace out from beginning to end. Something we can think about in this season is what season are we in? Scripture teaches us there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1-8. through eight. This is not a list of stuff to do. This isn't a list of things we have to manufacture. This is just a statement that God is there. He appoints the times and the seasons and He's going to be with us as we move through them. Discerning the season that we're in. Listen to me, church. This is important because it can help determine our priorities. It can help determine our decisions. It can help determine our pace. But failing to identify what season God has us in individually and what season God has us in as a church, it can result in so much anguish for ourselves personally and so much unnecessary pressure to those closest around us in our lives. What's a, what's a picture of what we want? We want this picture from 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Among King David's fighting men, there were men of Issachar who understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. That's what we want. We want to develop wisdom by washing in these truths and sitting between some things that feel like contradictions and anomalies and learning to be present with our God and to worship God right there with Him. It'll make us into people that it can be discerning people. We can look around the different situations of life and we can know the way to go when it all looks confusing as if it doesn't make any sense. So God is over the different seasons of our lives. Here's the second encouraging bit. God is making everything beautiful in its time. And I won't hold back from encouraging you with this today. Because in these first eight verses, we've been told that we've been placed in a world that we did not create. We have been told that we are put through rhythms that we do not choose, elect, or decide for. And we have been assigned these things by our God. Verse 14 says, no one can disrupt this plan of God. So if it is good, then God gave it. And if it is travail, then God gave it also. God is the one who apportions the lot. And when it's done, it's fixed forever. So then we can focus on verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And it is the promise for you if you're in a season when it feels like everything is coming undone. He is working in the midst of that to make it beautiful in time. There's something about the beauty and the works of God where we can't appreciate what He's actually doing unless He allows us to go through some bits we would never choose for ourselves. Could be some fruits that He actually wants to grow through us that He actually only produces in the winter time when the roots are hanging on for dear life. So God has set eternity in the human heart. That's part of what we see here. God loves us so much that He has given all people, not just the church, He's given all people. Everybody's downloaded with this basically and equally being made in the image of God. God loves us so much that He has put a longing for home inside of us. So we're going to seek and seek and seek. If you like the phrase, we're going to thirst and thirst and thirst. Looking for satisfaction. 
And he does love the people that he made so much that he's not going to let them be satisfied apart from him. You might be here today thirsting, thirsting, thirsting. Maybe a little lap, maybe a little sip, but you haven't had that time where your thirst has been met. It can only be met by God, friend. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God is infinite. We are finite. He has all the pieces. We're but a piece. God has a perfect perspective. We have a limited perspective. And we can't always understand what God is doing from season to season. But we can trust His heart when we cannot see exactly where His hand is in our situation. This is what we're invited into. Like we don't have to, we can, we can cease our striving. We can cease our desire to control and fix and manipulate and manage and understand it all. Ecclesiastes is trying to take that anxiety away from us. So you can be free, free, free. Or later, like in a, in a couple of hours, you could have some food, you could have some drink, and you could have a show. And you could realize God is present in this. And you can actually glorify God and rest in Him in a way that isn't that far from just looking into His Word and studying the Bible. You can realize this is a gift that my Maker has given me. He's given me this moment. Let me be present with Him now. Husbands and wives around the room, like we can look at one another and say, you know what? The rest of life is that. But according to verses 12 and 13, this is a gift. And He's present with us here and now. And we can enjoy Him and we can enjoy each other. He has made everything beautiful in its time. This is what you can bank on. And you're thirsting and thirsting and thirsting. This is what you can hope for. This is what you can depend on. God has a plan for His people. And he is carefully shepherding his people as the sheep of his pasture through all these different times and seasons and rhythms and cycles of life. He tells us his intentions are good. He intends to make everything around us beautiful in the end. And the implication of this, and I'm nearly done, is that in every season then, we have reasons to worship. Church, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to believe this. God is working out His purposes in your life, whether you can see it or not. God is working out His purposes in your life, whether you have some sense of overwhelming, active faith and confidence, I can tell God is with me right now, or whether you are tempted to give up all hope entirely, God is present and He's working out His purposes in your life. You see, life for us, Ecclesiastes up to this point, has given us this picture. Life is kind of like a kaleidoscope. The trouble for us is not that, is, is, is that life refuses to keep still. The trouble for us is that we only get a fraction of the movement. The trouble for us is we're trying to make sense of this whole thing, but all we have is this little one green rectangular thing, and we're, just, we're trying to interpret the whole through it. But you're not given that. You're, you're given a fraction of reality. And instead of changelessness, there is something better. There is a dynamic, divine purpose with its beginning and end. Instead of frozen perfection, there is a kaleidoscope of movement and innumerable processes, each with its own character and its own period of blossoming and its own period of ripening. 
God is making everything beautiful in its own time and contributing to the overall masterpiece of what He's up to as our Creator. He knows what He's doing with us. And it's only with the eyes of faith that this kaleidoscope of life becomes a solid picture. And then we can see the overview given to us in these first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we can be led to worship. But that's only with the eyes of faith. What used to look like a mess can now make sense. It's only with the eyes of faith over time. Friend, God is working out His purposes. When Joseph's brothers, they threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery, it looks like all was lost. But God was present. Ecclesiastes 3 would lead us to see God doesn't simply know about it. God's very involved in these events somehow. And God appointed these seasons where Joseph goes down only to be raised up to be prime minister of the land one day and through God's plan, which wasn't a straight line. It wasn't a short journey. But through God's plan, Joseph was able to say, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is only given to us like through faith, through the one, according to verse 14, who fears God. Something of the same is happening for each and every person who reads Ecclesiastes 3.14 and has some sense of all irreverence. Some sense of, I don't have all this, but He has all this, and I'm going to trust Him. Something of the same is happening in us. We're in the book of Romans. Church, be convinced of this. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with the Son graciously give us all things? And a few verses later, Paul concludes it for us. God is working together for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purposes. He's making everything beautiful in its time. Some of us are just in the middle of the season and things aren't all the way beautiful yet. And we feel the tension. We feel the contradiction. We feel the anomalies. But God is there. So we're nearly concluded. Gil, come on up. and Think about this. Think about the timing of God in relation to this. And think about the fact that God waited so long to send Jesus. God could have appointed for you, me, could have appointed for this whole lot to be dropped in anywhere in the world. And we could have been one of those seasons where people lived, they were born, they went through the cycle of life, and they died, and they didn't have Jesus. And Galatians 4.4 says, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son. God appointed that time too. God knew that specific moment. God was waiting on it all to add up. God was waiting for it all to reach some finite moment in the midst of His infinite plan when God said, now the time is right. Uh, Koine Greek, the street language of the culture at the time, it was in just the right place for Jesus to walk through the streets, not speaking high, lofty, classical Greek, but Jesus speaking the Koine, the language of the people. The time was just right. God was monitoring multiple prophecies. I'm talking hundreds of prophecies. 
And God's just waiting and waiting and waiting. And God's biding His time. And God's waiting for the time to get just right. Where when He sends Jesus through, these prophecies are going to be fulfilled all the time. Sometimes multiple in a day. Sometimes multiple in a moment. But all that took planning. And that takes a sovereign God who's over it all. And who is going to accomplish things through the obedience and the disobedience of people at the same time. Whatever kind of timing situation you got in your life, whether the time is ripe and it's harvest in abundance, Ecclesiastes wants you to know, enjoy it, enjoy God, enjoy that lot. He gave it to you. But don't make a God out of it because you're just going to cycle through. And Ecclesiastes also has for us in this room, if you're in one of those seasons and it feels like death, it feels like it is coming undone, it feels like God has left the building. He has looked away from you. He is not aware of your situation and he needs to be brought back in and debriefed on the whole thing. Then think about how present he is and how his timing has been so perfect through the life of his son alone. You think it was Herod who wanted to know the time that the star appeared and related to that timing issue, infanticide swept the land and somehow God is saying, I'm taking care of all of this in the end. He shows up in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, saying the time is fulfilled. And then he started preaching. Not before, not after, right on time. He had 40 days in the wilderness, an opportune time where the devil sought him in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And the demons were trembling because the dreaded time had come for even them. And they knew in Matthew 8, 29, Their time was drawing near through Jesus. Lazarus, he faced death. And Jesus has the wisdom to wait two days to go and to raise him from the dead in John 11, verse 5. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't because his time had not yet come in John chapter 7, verse 30. There was a time for a feast and the feast was awaiting, but his hour wasn't yet here in John chapter 7, verse 8. The Passover arrives and then... The king announced, my time is now at hand. In Matthew 26, verse 18, Jesus was betrayed and his hour then came in Mark chapter 14, verse 41, where they crucified him and God worked through sinners, nailing him to that tree. The sovereign God is over that situation, gaining so much glory, working out his purposes, even through the death of his son. It was the ninth hour and the father forsook him in Matthew chapter 15, verse 34. And then he gloriously cried out only when the time was right that it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. So Mary weeps and Jesus waits in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Thomas had his doubts and Jesus waited eight days to go and say something to him in John chapter 20, verse 26. There was 40 days of Jesus going around and preaching and demonstrating his existence with proofs in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And then the day came and Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And then the spirit of Jesus came down. And Jesus now calls us to know what time it is and to make the most of the time. His lordship over our lives is not only over the big events of history, but over the everyday experiences of your life and mine. 
in the way that we spend, Redeemer, the way that we spend these hours and these days is ultimately worked out under his divine sovereignty plan and presence over us and with us. So in every season, we have our reasons to worship. And we have our reasons for holding on to him and for believing and resting in him. Conclude here, Psalm chapter 31, verse 15. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Think about who spoke. It was Solomon's father, King David. The king was sad and the king was afraid. The king knew it was to spend his life with grief and sighing. It's as if sorrow has wasted his strength and consumed his bones within them. Cruel enemies sought his life. And think about the appeal that this powerful one made. He knew that his refuge, no matter what the season, wasn't in himself, it wasn't in his possessions, it wasn't in his power structure, it was in God and God alone. He doesn't point to the mountains of gold and silver that he had. He doesn't point to the wealth that most millionaires and monarchs only wish they could swim in. He didn't have anything in this world. He had the maker of the world on his side and that was more than enough. So when he had a time of stress, he just named to his God, this time is in your hands. Leads us to that moment. How are we doing? Are we walking around these streets like the time is in our hands? Are we walking around these streets like time is in his hands? Have you, have you given him the time of your life? You said, here it is, I'm yours. You take over. I'll quit controlling. I'll quit manipulating. I'll be obedient to your word and your purposes for me. But you take over and you lead. Here's the thing for some of us in this room that are hearing this and we are not yet followers of Jesus. Some of us in this room, we hear this. And the hand that Christians long to kiss is the hand that you desperately fear. The season that Christians in this room desperately long for is the season that you tremble for. It's time for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ before your time is too late and before the clock on your life expires. It's time to get right with God before it's too late to be right with God. And for us who are already right with Him, then we can get on with that busy business of living for Him and enjoying our lot, whatever the situation looks like. Because this isn't the whole picture. It's only a gift that he's given us for today. And he'll be with us tomorrow and the day after that. And he'll take us all the way through to the end. So let's do this. Would you go ahead? Would you stand? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. We're going to worship our God. Give him the honor and the weight he deserves. Father in heaven, here we are. Your people who need your hand, your guidance in our life. We need your care. So God, we... We look to you, the Lord of years, the ancient of days. And Father, we pray that you would help us to discern what time it is. We pray you give us wisdom and perspective in whatever season you have us in. And we pray that you would help us to hope in you more. You would increase our faith as we think about how you've worked in the past and give us great faith to believe you're working in us even now. And you intend to keep working through us in the days ahead. We're in your hands. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name.